Welcome to Roadhouse Minute, the podcast where we review the best bad movie of all time, Roadhouse, one minute at a time, and where we always try to be nice until it's time not to be nice. I'm Roger. Hi, Marcy. And I'm very excited this week to be joined by an amazing guest. We have uh, Jim O'Kane with us, um, who, if you've listened to any Movies by Minutes podcast before, you've probably run across one of his podcasts. But, you know, among other things, uh, host of the Rocketeer Minute, the Apollo 13 Minute, the Die Hard Minute, which I'm going to just say, Jim, for my money, is one of my favorite Movies by Minutes podcasts I've listened to. Um, And uh, how are you doing, Jim? I'll let you tell us about your new project, too. Doing great. Uh, we're we're working on a another group uh, a group project coming out in uh, February twenty eighth of twenty twenty two. If you're listening to this in the uh, in the near future, and if you if you're listening to this in the far future, you can go back and binge our whole thing because it'll be done by August. Um, but yeah, we're we're working on uh, uh, every year uh, groups of movies by minutes podcasters get together, and uh, they each have one week or five episodes to talk about a movie. And uh, the movie this year is uh, the 1985 uh, Lawrence Kasdan directed and written film, uh, Silverado, which is, uh, it kind of brought the Western back and uh, has an all-star cast. Uh, Lots of people who are doing the movies by minutes uh, shows have characters that are, that are in their movies uh, showing up in this movie. So it, it should be a very interesting um, and it's showing a lot of, a uh, lot of interest in it. So we have 26 host teams this year. How did you, uh, I mean, so one of the things I liked the most about the Die Hard Minute was just this format. Like, how did you come up with that idea that essentially every week you're going to get to listen to a new set of hosts? Well, I, I, I went to the, um, let's see, I think it's the first movies by minute uh, get together that we had was in Chicago. And, uh, when we were setting that up, I thought, gee, it'd be really nice if we had like a sampler that so many people, so many people had their, I mean, at the time that I think there were maybe 30 or 40, uh, movies by minutes and right now we're over 200. Um, but I thought it'd be nice if, if everybody did the same movie, but just did a couple of episodes just so we could hear the differences in how they approach a movie. And I, I was surprised, I was surprised to find out I was right. There, there are very many different ways of looking at a film and, uh, venturing into it week to week, a lot more people, heard about how different people approach the movies by minutes uh format so uh, that was successful we've done we've done four so far and uh this will be number five so uh it just keeps going we have uh, we've done everything as varied as uh, north by northwest to um we did a a jeff goldblum film called into the night which most people had never heard of (laughs) and uh it was just very intriguing to, to have all these different these different kinds of films uh, I thought it was I thought it was great. And, you know, one of the things that I thought was great about it is it, it's almost like it's like one of those Whitman samplers you can get at Christmas. Yeah. Like I literally discovered probably a half a dozen other podcasts because I just listened to, you know, a set of hosts for a week. And I said, well, I don't care what they host, but I, I know it's going to be great. So I need to go out and find like, you know, the thing that they are doing on their own and and listen to that. So I'm I'm excited to listen to Silverado. I'm, I'm jealous. I, I thought real hard about volunteering, but I've never seen the movie before. Before. So wow. I didn't really feel like I could contribute anything, but uh, it's it's going to be it's going to be a fun listen, I'm sure. Well, yeah, and uh, you know you can always be a guest on the show and and watch the watch the film. So there's a bunch of people out there making them right now as we're recording. So if you want to just reach out and say I'm I'm uh, I'm available as a guest, they'll probably have you on. People, I could certainly do that. I have one more piece of tangential um, curiosity question. Have you ever heard of a podcast called Shat the Movies? It's no. a movie review podcast. Um, so Marcy and I like to listen to it. It's enjoyable. It's just, you know, it's like a couple of middle-aged people like us who go back and review movies from the 80s and 90s. The only reason why I'm mentioning it to you is it has 
uh, one of the most amazing podcast themes of all time that revolves entirely around the movie Die Hard. Oh, wow. So you should, after you, and it's an original theme, like composed for the podcast, you should go download one episode of the show just so you can listen to the beginning uh, theme because it is hilarious and amazing. And it's called Chat the Movies. Yes. Uh, yeah. Okay. Just just the way you think it would be spelled. Sure. Okay. So <laughs> I'll, yeah. I'm, I'm writing that down. I'm excited for Silverado, but of course, to be fair, I think we also have to give a lot of credit to Roadhouse for resurrecting the Western genre because <laughs> as as... As has been said by most of the people who were involved in this movie, Roadhouse is designed to be a modern-day Western. Um, how much it actually succeeds in that, I guess. I guess we're gonna we're gonna get in a chance to talk about that. So, um, where is my decorum? Uh, attention must be paid to the format. So this is minute forty-three. Uh, this minute starts with cars parking in front of Brad Wesley's front door, and it ends with Brad Wesley explaining the transitive rule of intimidation. <laughs> so where should we start i'm i'm really excited about these three minutes you know it's 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 interesting like you know some podcasts are one minute a week some podcasts are five minutes a week we settled on three minutes a week and it's just really delightful where you get sort of like a totally self-contained scene within just like a week's worth of you know stuff like last week for example we got the whole first meeting between dalton and doc and this this week is the uh, the dressing down of, of Brad Wesley's henchman, and I, I have so many notes about this. But where where would you like to start with this? Where where did you all go with this minute? Yeah, um, I would say the. Uh, I mean, this it it's a bit of exposition. We are finding out how bad uh, Ben Gazzara's character is as a as a boss, and he <laughs> is the big baddie. He's the one that the the, the heavies the muscle fear. Um, and as you know, as we're starting here, and it and it's you can tell that these are the bad guys because um, it's so loud. You have the um, the monster truck, and and they're they're all like it's a very well refined area. But you can tell these are thugs, and they're dealing with the head thug. So it's an interesting contrast of seeing all this uh, you know all this beauty and refinement uh, being populated by the the swine of the movie. And, uh, you know, the, the working class folks are the good guys, but they are not as refined. So it's an interesting juxtaposition of the of the two people. I really uh, enjoyed the the drive up. I thought the monster truck was super menacing, but this other sedan just pulls into its parking spot so slowly and timid, timidly, like you know that this guy feels like he's in trouble and he doesn't want to actually get to the point where he has to get out of his car. Yeah. So, so yeah, so we've got, so in the monster truck, apparently monster truck seems like it's Ketchum's ride. Ketchum is that, that, uh, you know, well, uh, he's, he's a, this very fit kind of handsome guy and he always seems to ride around with carpets is in the monster truck, but yeah, Marcy, you're right. So pulling up in this other car are O'Connor and Tinker who were clearly the, the idiots from the previous scene in the bar. Um, this car, so just in case you're wondering, this car is, is an Eagle Premier, um, which is, it, it's not a very nice, like, it's not a very good car. I don't know. I don't think Brad Wesley really like for all the money that he seems to have, he does not seem to really care about owning particularly classy automobiles. Or maybe he just, he gives the car, <clears throat> excuse me, the car to the one that he likes, because if, if it's Carpus and 
Who was the other dude that you said? Ketchum. Ketchum. They do not get beat up. It's O'Connor that gets his bloodshed and he gets it to the stomach. And it's O'Connor that's rolling up in the bad sedan. It's not a good sedan. So, yeah, it's uh, that's that's a good point you make about how they sort of just arrive here very sheepishly. This this whole scene, I just I love the way that Brad Wesley just like interacts with his with his henchmen in this scene. I mean, Jim, you were saying this whole scene is about him like being a bad boss. And there's so many like weird ways in which he is sort of is he's talking to them in a way that I think he thinks is like trying to motivate them. I don't know. There's, there's all kinds of weird things going on with Brad Wesley in this scene. Yeah. There, it's, I mean, it's the standard uh, gangster uh, dress down of the henchmen. There's a, uh, there's a, a comedic take on this. If you've ever seen the movie, my favorite year, Peter O'Toole, 1982 with um, uh, Mark Lynn is in it. And uh, basically the story, if you know, if for people who haven't seen it, it's, Picture the television series 30 Rock only set in 1956. And it's okay. uh, people doing a people doing a comedy show like Sid Caesar, 1950s. And there's a uh uh there's this uh the 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 C, the Sid Caesar character, the star of the show, in uh, in this case it would be the Tracy Morgan of the show. Um uh he it, he plays a gangster on the television show that's taking place inside the movie, and they have a they have a gangster scene where he's playing this guy, Boss Hijack, and Boss Hijack wears this giant <laughs> pinstripe suit. And uh, he comes in, he comes into his office and he says, Which one of you guys parked in my spot? And so the three other henchmen come by and they they walk past the guy that uh, that did it, and then they all lean over their shoulder and point point their thumbs over the shoulder at the guy. Mm-hmm. And so Boss Hijack grabs the guy by the lapels and says, uh, move your car. And he pushes them out. They're in the second floor of a building. <laughs> he pushes them out oh. the window. So it's, I mean, this is a standard, you know, you pay, you've, it, it, and I mean, you've seen this in every Bond movie with, you know, everything from, uh, oh gosh. Uh, I think Diamonds Are Forever would be a yeah. good choice. Or even, yeah. I mean, it's famously parodied in Austin Powers. Yeah, yeah. It's basically the the the, the loser heavy is going gonna, is gonna to pay the price and let that mm. be, you know, encourage the others as I say, uh, so that the other ones know what, you know, failure is not an option. It reminds um, me too, if you've, if you've seen the movie, the untouchables, the, the classic scene with Robert De Niro and Al Capone, the baseball, yeah, scene, the baseball bat. Yeah. That's a, that's a, another one of those, but I mean, so we're going to get to that, but there's, there's some other things that happen in the scene that I just find tremendously amusing. Uh, before we get to like, Wesley and Pat, which I think is its own sort of little priceless bit. I just want to give some credit to Jimmy, who puts on his danger sunglasses and then just like stands there looking menacing for a while. But let's start with, so before we get to what's happening with with his other henchmen, let's talk about Brad Wesley and Pat. It was it was like a father with his disappointed child, yeah. right? I mean, don't you get like just sort of the look on Pat's face like, oh no, not again. And he just like kind of casts his eyes down and kind of shambles past brad brad wesley yeah and it's i mean the the two things that that come across with with wesley is he's the he's the big guy but when you look at it he's in what south southwestern missouri he's the, he's the big guy <laughs> in a nobody town so this is his whole this is his whole game this is this this is his crew and this is 
all it consists of. He's got four guys to run the whole town. And so he's trying to act nonchalant like these guys don't matter to him, but that's every that that's that's all the muscle he's got that he can he can take on, you know, to take on the town. And uh here, you know, 25% of his uh of his muscle is a failure. Well, actually 50%, but he's gonna pick on the 25. Yeah, 50%. Yeah, he's gonna what did you what did you think so about the stuff we've been talking about so far, Mars? Um, yeah, I think it, it's interesting that he's got this nephew that he's protecting, right? But he's not really he's not really grooming him to be anything. He's just kind of putting him in a place where he has a job and he's protected by other people, but he's kind of like written him off as being pretty worthless. Um, and so, you know, I found that was kind of interesting that he's under his protection, but he really, you know, he doesn't have a high opinion about him. Yeah. So this is the scene we've alluded to in some previous minutes where we find out that Pat, in fact, does have a weak constitution, at least according to Brad Wesley. I thought what Brad Wesley says at the end of this minute, sorry, I know I'm skipping around. I just have so many thoughts about what happened this minute. Like he, at the end of this minute, he says he's he sort of he has this like weird, really weird explanation about his sort of role. He says, I have to be there for him. And if I'm not there, you're there. Like, why is Brad Wesley responsible for Pat? Well, it's his sister's kid, so maybe he doesn't have children of his own, so he feels bonded to this person. I guess um, I just thought it was weird when he said, like, if he doesn't have me, who's he got? It's like, well, maybe his parents. I don't know. Yeah, maybe his parents aren't alive. Oh, yeah. Do we know anything about the the status of his sister? I don't know if his... I don't I think don't, that's mentioned. I don't think the movie goes into that much backstory. I think you're giving the movie too much credit, Jim. This this goes... Uh, I think this is... Uh, it's a reflection of... Uh, in the movie Casino, uh, Joe Bob Briggs plays a guy who works at the casino, is letting people win at the casino, and they fire him. They, they wind up beating him up and tossing him out because he's he's letting guys cheat in the casino but it turns out he's the son or the nephew of the sheriff of henderson county so they had to hire him back in and uh mm. they're making trouble for him so this is a very similar scene to that it's like you have to you have to hire you know hire friends of the family just so that uh you're you're in good with the with the people in power yeah not once dalton gets to town though yeah right because they're going to try that but they're yeah, not, the, yeah, the not for those the shenanigans anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, one thing. Uh, it's a little bit early to bring this up, but uh, uh, there is a uh, with Brad Wesley. Uh, he's a lot like a rather famous gangster uh, who's known as Oni Madden. Oni Madden was part of uh, the New York mob during Prohibition, and he wound up uh, after Prohibition ended and. Uh, organized crime started to get into things like gambling and setting up Las Vegas. Well, Las Vegas wasn't the only gambling center. Um, back in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, one of the centers of gambling in the United States was the little town of Hot Springs, Arkansas, which is in the Ozarks. It's not too far from where this it's is. not that far away. Yeah, it's, it's not too far from where this was taking place. And Oni Madden uh, was sent by the New York mobs to go down there and run the gambling operations in Hot Springs. Uh, there's a great book out by an author named David Hill called The Vapors. It just came out last year, and it talks about that Vapors was the name of one of the uh, one of the casinos there, the biggest casino that Oni Madden ran. 
And uh, it was kind of the crime capital of the South, believe it or not, um, that uh, there were all these casinos going on. And uh, they eventually got pushed out. I don't want to spoil things if you're reading the book, but they eventually got pushed out in the 60s. And all of that uh, all that operation moved into uh, Las Vegas because it was more centralized and had more of a money-making plan. But, uh, but Hot Springs at the time... Ben Gazzara's character is a lot like Oni Madden in running this uh, nickel and dime outfit uh, with a handful of guys to to run and rule over a small town. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. I mean, is Hot Springs, like, for me, being the crime boss of Hot Springs is, seems kind of like being the crime boss of Jasper. Like, was it really that big a deal? I'm yeah, having a yeah. hard time getting, like, were oh, they yeah. really making enough money to make it, like, significant? Yeah, it was it was big. Um, Bill Clinton was uh, worked in Hot Springs back back in the day. He he worked not he worked not in one of the casinos, but in one of the associated things. But this was like it was also like a leaping off point if you were in Arkansas politics. It kind of that's that's where you moved up in the business to go up into uh, hmm. into Arkansas politics. But uh, and I had never I had never known anything about this until I read that that book, The Vapors. But uh, yeah, it was, it's all the little, you know, I, I keep wondering as I was reading the book, I'm like, wow, this is like the plot of Roadhouse, except there was, there was no Patrick Swayze to save the day. It was more like uh, the Justice Department and Bobby Kennedy. Bobby Kennedy would have been the uh, Patrick Swayze of it. He just kind of went in and started cleaning house. Um, it makes you kind of wonder though, what is this like other than extortion and getting people to give him money for the Jasper Improvement Society? Like what is Brad Wesley all about? Like, you never see that he's got any business per se. He's just after people and getting people to pay him money every month. Do you get the feeling that he's part of a bigger organization? That was the feeling that I was getting. He was like a link in the chain. So we've, so, you know, so that's a possibility. So Marcy and I just finished watching season two of Fargo, which deals with organized crime. And so you've got like, you have like the, the this Minnesota outfit that is loosely connected to um, where are these people? Are they from St. Louis or Kansas City? Kansas, Kansas City. City. Speaking and of they're the devil. all about shipping. So, um, you know, I think it, it's certainly possible that he is in some way connected to, say, you know, the Chicago outfit, because that's we're going to find out later on that that's where um, he kind of came up. Um, and started, you know, kind of, he, he grew up in Chicago, so it would make sense for him, him to do that. But yeah, I think you're right, Marcy, like where he, he's getting 10% off the top from all the businesses in Jasper, but that based on what we've seen, that doesn't seem like a lot of money. Yeah. And for why, like, I don't understand if, if he's in a link in this chain, like what is the overall business, you know, like the one in Fargo was about shipping and they were certainly running drugs but are they running drugs through Jasper? Yeah. I didn't get that. I didn't get that impression. I mean, it's like, I thought he was getting like 10% of the hardware store and things like that. And it was a protection protection rack, but I can't Mm -hmm. imagine the road house making that much money, even though it seems to have an unrealistic (laughs) um, uh, revenue stream, like just to pay for the band and stuff and the amount of, the amount of broken. uh, uh, And $500 a night for Dalton too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, (laughs) That seems this, high, right? Yeah, yeah, know. it's it's absurdly high. I mean, I don't know what they're charging per drink, but it, it was. I used to be a bartender, and really, if they cleared with the number of people that was there, if they cleared maybe fifteen hundred a night, 
2009. It just didn't seem like they were selling enough beer or, you know, they weren't selling enough liquor to get by. Well, I don't think that, I don't think that Tillman expects that he's going to have Dalton on retainer for $500 a night. Dalton is like, he's like, he's like biological renovation, right? You're bringing him in, you're going to pay him $500 a week for like, or $500 a night for a month. And then at the end of that month, he's going to move on when the job's done and move on to the next sorry situation, try and turn that around. Yeah. But, but even that, even at that, you know, thir- uh, what, 30 nights at 500 a night, that's, you know, that, that's a lot of cash to get. Yeah. Yeah. I think they're going to lose money for the first month and a half. Yeah. But how do they it, pay the, how do they pay the band? I mean, is the band just, it's open mic night every night. I just, <laughs> well, Tillman's Tillman's come into a little bit of money. We still don't know from where. Um, Marcy and I have debated several different theories as we try to construct a backstory. None of the characters in this movie, except for, except for Dalton and sort of doc have really anything that you would call a backstory. So we just have to kind of make up kind of where we think the rest of this, uh, where the rest of these characters have come from. Yeah. It's, it's a very unusual economy in Jasper. I can't figure out. Um, you know the place that the the place that uh, that Swayze stay. You know Dalton is staying in a place that you could easily tear down and turn into a B and B or something. You know it's it's it, it's just silly. And if he's in if he's in the Ozarks, there's there's a lot more money in vacation homes than than what you know renting the thing out for a hundred dollars a month. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Just it's. But I, I think if you think about this movie too hard, it just it it ruins it. Just, <laughs> we might really, be we might be analyzing it on a level that it 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 does not really hold up under that level of scrutiny. Um, but no. it, hey, that's what we're doing. But you've right? got to talk about it. We're movies I mean, by yeah. many oh, yeah. hosts. Yeah, I know. Yeah, um, some. Yeah. I want to I want to talk a little bit more about sort of this whole dialogue scene that begins. So once Pat leaves, then we really get to like about two solid minutes. It's going to span the whole next minute and go into the minute after where Brad Wesley goes on this sort of psychological tortuous attempt to try to, to discipline his, his sorry henchman. Um, I love the fact that he, he starts off. So, so Jim, so Marcy and I work at, at a high school and what I have written down in my notes is like Brad Wesley's conversation technique seems to be the way that some adults would, would address their teenage children. Like his first question is, did I explain it wrong? Like, as if, as if he expects one of them to, he's like asking this question and just waiting for one of them to just admit that they've screwed up. One thing, one thing I don't understand, where is uh, tiny Ron's character? I don't know what what happened. So, well, he's not in this scene. I mean, he's still, he's still part of the band. So Morgan's not here either. We get a lot of, but there's a lot of the crew are in this minute, Um, but we're, we don't have Morgan. We don't have mountain. We're not going to see them for a while, actually, until the arrival of Wade Garrett. I think it's the next time we get a chance to see them. So right now, it's it's just these guys. How do you feel about the relationship between um, Wesley and Tinker? Because... <laughs> That's a good question. Tell you what, let me hold on to that to next minute because okay, he does yeah. he does something he does something really delightful with Tinker and O'Connor in the next minute. Yeah. Um, what I really enjoyed in this minute was it, so when he asks that kind of reverse psychology question, um, O'Connor is O'Connor's the first guy to step up. So we talked about in the bar fight scene how O'Connor sort of fashions himself as sort of like a prototypical like big tough boss. Yeah. Um, but in this minute, 
And I really appreciate what you said, Marcy, about the way that he pulls up in the car as though he's like done mm-hmm. something wrong. In this minute, in this whole scene, he is just, he is so timid. He, he talks like a child. He's like, no, you, ex- you explained it great, boss. Like he, he could, he could tell he messed up and something bad's going to happen. He looks like he knows he's going to be getting a spanking, but he just doesn't know. And this isn't the first, this, this can't be the first time that Wesley's been like this. He has to fly into rages previously. You know, he's, uh, oh, I'm sure. I mean, the way that he, the way that he begins this whole scene with just this sort of very disappointedly exhausted, like, oh, and he shakes his yeah, head like, a little here bit. We like, are again. Here we are again with you knuckleheads. Did I explain it wrong? Like, are you incapable of understanding the instructions? Marcy, do you see the look on, like, just like the look on O'Connor's face? Like if you scrub ahead to like second 50, mm-hmm. he looks like, I don't know. He's like, he's like pouting like a toddler. Yeah. He's, he's not. Yeah, he is. He, he looks so sad. Yeah, I just, I want to know more backstory on all of them. Are all of them without families? Are all of them, I mean, are they local? <laughs> They're not locals. Like, I think. I that think would be Tinker, fascinating. Tinker's a local, but I think the other ones are all out-of-towners, like uh, like Wesley. Even though Wesley lived there for a long time, he's still a Chicago out-of-towner. I think it's, I think Tink is the local guy, and the other three are ex-Chicago or ex-Kansas City or ex-somewhere else. I really like this idea of all of Brad Wesley's henchmen being orphans who were taken in oh, by Brad geez. Wesley as like <laughs> sort of like this uh, the artful dodger kind of a thing, yeah, or yeah. like or like um, Professor X. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, those are good guys, but the same idea. I mean, it would it would be nice symmetry to. Um, you know, well, I don't know, actually, whatever, wherever we think Dalton has come from and how he's kind of got, come under the, the protection of um, Wade Garrett. It would be nice if there was sort of like symmetry between the two sides. But uh, I don't know. That's, that's, a, that's a good question. Nobody is dressed the same as the other. That's the one thing. <laughs> I mean, like they're all. Yes. The, 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 the two on the right look like casual Friday. And um <laughs> You know, Tinker's dressed like a volunteer fireman, and the other guy looks like a insurance salesman that's had a long day. Yeah, and yeah, he's got such a crumpled suit on. So, Marcy's our fashion consultant. Marcy, do you have any strong opinion about Brad Wesley's ensemble in this minute? I think he looks so weird, like he's a safari dude or something. Like he appears to be wearing. Sorry, why does this guy have a a vest that is kind of in between? Patagonia and fly fishing. I don't get it. I was getting, I was getting like um, uh, Han Solo vibes off of that. It's yeah, like, it's he it, should have the boots that are over the pants legs and yeah, it's like a it's like a leather vest. It looks leather, doesn't it? It is leather, don't you think? Or oiled canvas or I something like that. Yeah, yeah. it it looks. Uh, yeah, it's, it's dumb, Roger. It's not, it does it's not a like particularly it, good look. It doesn't look like it's something you wear outdoors. Like he just wears it as an <laughs> affectation. It doesn't look like it would, you know, it doesn't stop rain or wind. Um, yeah, you're right about this crew of outfits. Like, where are these people? Well, what do they think they're engaged in? They're going to, they're going to fight somebody, and so they dress in. Such a it, weird it's like combo. They got, I think these. Are, I think the, every one of them is a good character choice. So, like, if you sort of if you go down the line, you've got Ketchum, who's sort of this suave, cool dude. He knows he's not in trouble. He's always just dressed like 
kind of nice. Um, you've got O'Connor. O'Connor appears to be, although we know he's not wearing the same clothes he wore before because they were covered in Dalton's blood. But his outfit basically says, I just screwed up. He looks like a little boy. Like those those tiny shirt sleeves yeah, on a like little... A- yeah, like like that school uniform kind of a thing. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. the way that our kids are. So our kids, this is the school they go to. They've got to they've got to wear be in dress code. That seems like the yeah. kind of thing that they might wear one day. Tinker, I feel like you look at him and, like you said, Jim, he's supposed to sort of look like he's the townie. Yeah. And so you get that look, and then Carpus. Carpus doesn't get a lot of run in this movie for reasons that I'm going to get to in another minute this week. But um, he sort of seems like he's dressed up a little too nice to do jobs that aren't quite as important as he thinks they are. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. It definitely like marketing or something that he has to meet with the general public, but he forgot to comb his hair and he didn't tie his tie all the way up. So he's had a long day. Um, catch him. I always wonder if he's thinking that he's going to be the the manager when, uh, when uh, Wesley turns the place into an Applebee's because it's I mean, <laughs> it, that whole outfit that he's got on, it just screams, uh, you know, working at Chili's as a assistant su- shift supervisor or something. <laughs> I also, I mean, to be fair, we should also, we, we should also give Jimmy his due. Jimmy is wearing a black shirt that appears to be unbuttoned approximately halfway in order to expose a healthy <laughs> amount of chest hair. Plus that, whatever the, those gold necklaces are that are around his neck. Yeah, and J- Jimmy and Ketchum go to the same barber, so they can get, you sweep it back some more. Just keep keep mm-hmm. combing backwards until the hair won't go back any further. Spray keep it. combing backwards. Yeah. I don't have anything else about this minute. Do you all? I mean, I'm dying to get to the rest of this scene. But if anybody have anything else we haven't got a chance to touch on? No, it's fine. It's, I, I I really I one thing that I'm really impressed by in here. It, Dean Cundy did the cinematography, right? So yes, he really knows when to pick a, a cloudy day that it's not raining and it's not mm-hmm. sun. So they must have just uh, trying to get a number of days that look like this to keep the lighting. Over. This had to have been a couple of days of filming, I would think. But if, if we watch over the next couple of minutes that he keeps the lighting steady and doing this outdoors is just, that's, that's why you hire Dean Cundy. I mean, yeah, we've, we, so we've talked about him and lighting is a good thing to think about because one of the things that we have talked about with Dean Cundy is just like, how much he seems to care about lighting. Like there are scenes in the barn loft where they actually said, so in the director's commentary, they talk about how he has all this light, like coming in from the outside in a way that you would not expect there to be lights. You can see what's going on outside. Uh, Marcy and I have talked about how the double deuce is extraordinarily well illuminated for a dingy (laughs) nightclub. Yeah. Um, And yeah, so Dean Cundy's Cundy's great, by the way. I mean, he really is sort of, he's a, he's a legendary cinematographer. He's one of those people who's way too qualified to be involved with this movie. Um, Yeah. I I was just wondering if he he owed somebody a favor or if he was, you know, he had to finish this for as part of a three picture deal with something else. (laughs) But the, the other thing that I noticed in this and in many other scenes is his use of deep focus. Everything is in focus. There is not a, there's not a shallow focus especially when dealing with the bad guys, it's all, you know, the stuff on, uh, you, you can look at, um, Ketchum's shoulder to the, the last weeping willow at the back of the, uh, uh, at the back of the driveway and everything is in focus. Um, well, and you know, this isn't the only scene like that. Um, oh, yeah. we were, we were talking in a previous minute about how there was actually sort of a special kind of camera lens that he started using for this movie. Um, that is a camera, I think it was called the anamorphic lens or something like that, that 
that allows you to have a scene like this where so much of the people, I guess it gives you like a huge depth of field and you can get yeah, so much yeah. of the scene in focus. Yeah. It's, it's almost fisheye that hit, you know, he get he gets so, so far out, but it's beautiful use of color use of, uh, you know, I, just his coordination with the, with the set and costume designers so that, uh, you know, everything, everything pops the green, the green in the background. It's so lush. It's so you're out in the country and, uh, you know, even little things like Tinker's uh, red suspenders, just it, it, it pops so big. Um, and it's it's like reading a comic book. You know, this is this uh, it, it's all comic book color and comic book action. So I just nothing. Nothing is muted or pastel under well, this. Uh, it's funny you should say that because on the director's commentary, that's exactly what the director, Rowdy Harrington, said. He said that he wanted to make really heavy use of primary colors in this movie because he did want it to have sort of like a larger than life look to it and, and almost like sort of like a comic book feel. So, yeah. you know, for for whatever kind of low key shade we've been throwing at Rowdy Harrington for sort of seeming to almost put together this movie by accident. Um, it does seem like he's done a nice job of like picking colors and, and getting that stuff to go together. Wow. Yeah. Well, de definitely there. It's, uh, it, you know, I, I keep thinking Tinkers were in the same colors as Superman. So it's, uh, <laughs> it's a beautiful scene, but yeah, this has been a great minute. Well, listen, so Jim, on our Monday episodes, uh, one of the things that we like to do is ask our guests if they can remember back to their first experience with Roadhouse. Um, do you remember what it was like when you got a chance to see this movie for the first time? Uh, yes, I can remember seeing it on, uh, now I have to remember which uh, cable service. I watched it on, I think it was HBO. I think it was playing at least 80 times a month. <laughs> and uh, you know, coming up next, da, 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 and then you'd hear the 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 rising brass of uh, da, 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 and and the, yeah that's our theme song the big spinning hbo uh would, would come out in our feature presentation you know the following feature has been rated r and, and then this would show up and uh i think the first time i watched it i watched the first half of it and i fell asleep <laughs> and then i thought i really gotta go back and watch the rest of this thing and then uh then i watched it then i watched the uh the Patrick Swayze Christmas on uh, Mr. Science Theater. And then I said, I, I really got to go back and, and watch that again. And just, I, I think I watched it uh, maybe a year after that. And then I haven't watched it since until, until you asked me to be on the show. And I watched it again the other night and it's still, uh, still just as goofy. And you kind of say, how, how did this movie get made? It's one of those, you know, you just kind of look at it and go, well, somebody thought this was a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are we are happy to bring it back into your life then for sure. Yeah, no, thank you very much. It's it's uh, it's always fascinating to see. I love goofy movies, and this is one of the goofiest movies I've seen in a long time. Well said, well said. Thank you once again for listening to another episode of Roadhouse Minute. Uh, please, if you can, rate and review us on your favorite podcatching app. Come and join us on Facebook at the New Double Deuce. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at, at @rhminute, and you can email us at Dalton says be nice at gmail.com. So remember, until next time, be nice. Bye now. Bye. Bye. <laughs>